Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode, episode 159 of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're in the heart of the Stanley Cup Finals, and as the series shifts to St. Louis, we're going to bring in a good friend of the show, Gabriel Foley, who writes for the last word on puck and covers the St. Louis Blues. And he's going to break down what why he thinks the Blues were able to shift the script, if you will, in game two, because a lot of the stats were just uh, absolute backwards from game one to game two even though the first period or so of, of game one was all St. Louis, uh, Boston certainly turned it on in games two in game periods, excuse me, two and three. So we're going to get Gabriel's take on that. I, I got a little Golden Knights content I want to get to to start the show off, and we'll get to that in just a minute. We'll be right back. All right, Golden Knights and hockey fans across the world, because we are always lucky to see our international audience continues to grow and grow. Uh, Chris, good day to you, sir. I do want to get to a little bit of Vegas Golden Knights content. There's been a little bit of run in the rumor mill uh, I want to get to real quick. But how are you doing today, sir? We're doing good. Why don't you start off with the Golden Knights? I know they signed um, somebody, I believe, before the deadline yesterday. Is that correct? Yes, sir. They're third round pick number 65 overall and I'm bringing up his stats as we speak Jonas or Jonas he plays in Sweden so I'm going to go with Jonas Ronberg Um, signed Uh him to an entry level contract he was like I said the 65th overall pick in the 2017th NHL entry draft and I was talking with you earlier today he was you know two years from his draft date he's either depending on age, resubmits to the draft or is free agent if he's not signed. So the Golden Knights uh, re-signed him. He's 44 games for the Vajjo Lakers. My friends in Sweden will – the Vajjo Lakers Hockey Club of the Swedish Hockey League. He's played in 44 games this season. Uh, Two goals, four assists with six penalty minutes. I don't know what that says about – the player, but uh, they were going to lose him, so he has been inked. And assuming well, right now, yeah, better than losing better the player. Yeah, and uh, and this is not a, a swipe at him, but just to put it in perspective, I'm looking at the future watch uh, issue, which uh, for the hockey news came out in late March, I believe. And right. He's not he's not on the according to them one of the night's top ten prospects, but. You know, look, you, you don't want to lose your own guys. I think the Islanders had a similar situation with a kid who really did well in the queue these last couple of years, and he was a six-round pick, and they got him signed right under the wire. So it's it's better not to lose these kids because you never know. Sometimes someone could be a an off, a draftee off the radar, and then they they have a big year, and all of a sudden, sudden they're top prospect or those kind of things or a late bloomer. So that's good. That's good news. Yep, and now to uh, there's been some play in the the rumor mill, uh, my oh. NHL trade rumors um, affiliated with Lyle Richardson's Inspectors Hockey, I believe, um, had an article out where one of the ways that the Knights are possibly going to work some cap relief into it is a Nick Holden buyout, which we hadn't talked about yet, and I wanted to get your opinion on that. What happens if they buy out his $2.2 million salary is they get $1.2 million in cap relief this season, and they'll have a $600,000 cap hit for him next season. But that's, you know, they, they got to get, we figure, close to $10 million to get uh, Carlson, Gusev, and, and the other contracts they need to get to the 23. Um, you figure that Subban is going to be back you know, um, so that's that's one way to shave so, 1.2 so million. So he would count. He would be 1.2 less off the cap this year. Correct. And then a 600,000 hit the following year. That's correct. You know, I. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying Nick Holden is uh, 
Bobby Orr here, but I mean, two point two million and one year deal. You know, he's got one more year to go. He's I want to say in his late twenties. There's a lot of teams out there that need depth on defense. I mean, you're telling me. I mean, I can think of the Sabers as an example, just to throw out a team. Not, not everyone is, I'm going to say is going to be clamoring for Nick Holden, but you're telling me there's not a team out there saying, you know what? Let's take a chance. We need help on uh, D on our third pairing. Um, you know, all we have to do is give up a, a six, six, a late first, a late draft pick. Uh, I would think, and then the Knights would be clear of the whole contract, the, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, would, it, if they view I, him I, I, as I, I, expendable. He would be a guy that, you know, he's a stay-at-home, yeah, steady would, defenseman. He, there's got to be right. a market for that for sure. I would, especially if you're basically going to get like a six-round pick in return kind of thing. You're sure. telling me there's not a number of teams uh, that do not have depth on defense that could use. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I, I, uh, 30 other clubs who wouldn't be any takers. I find that hard to believe. Not no, I agree. I agree know. with that. I agree with that, especially. Um, but, uh, if they believe that, and I, I was listening to Jesse Granger, he does a Rink Rats podcast, and he was on the local uh, local radio this week with the VGK Insider show at two o'clock. That's in my drive time, so I get to catch those guys. They do a real good job. Um, he's been with Chicago Wolves as they made their way towards the Calder Cup Finals. Um, he thinks, including Cody Glass. Um, Zach Whitecloud and Nick Haig both may be the odds-on favorites to earn spots in, out of camp next year on the big club. He thinks Nick Haig is, is a, probably a step behind Zach Whitecloud as far as, uh, quote, uh, holes in the overall game, but both appear to be really close to NHL ready. So let's say you move Colin Miller and the 3.85 million, which I, I mean, I don't like losing Colin Miller. I'm a Colin Miller fan. I think he's young. And I think the, the mistakes that he makes defensively are about to be weeded out of his game. And he's going to become a, a very good, uh, I'm going to say two, three, three, four defenseman in the league with his speed and his shot. Um, but if you got to move him and then uh, trade or buy out Nick Holden, then you have two youngsters uh, league minimum coming in and that, I mean, if you can move Holden as well, he seems to have lost his job to John Merrill throughout the season. Um, that's five, let's see, 3.8 and 2.2, six million dollars in your, in your cap right there. Um, it was interesting to see Nick Holden's name brought up and with the two guys that Jesse Granger was saying, and he, he really likes Cody Glass's chance as well. If there's a spot for him, um, we talked last week about maybe moving Eakin and right. if if Cody Glass is available then Halla doesn't really want to play the wing, so maybe maybe Halla could be uh on the way out too, because if you're gonna move Halla to wing, then what do you do with a three point five million dollar Gusev? You don't want him on the fourth line, right? So right. the the top six is set, right? Well you assume William Carlson's coming back. So maybe maybe there's your your four moves right there. Um, if you go Millen, Holder, Holden, uh, Halla, and Eakin, now you could put Glass, White Cloud, Hague in the lineup at significant savings, and then you have the money to maybe bring back a Belmar in addition to signing Carlson. So uh, just a couple things that have been bandied about here in the local media, and I don't know if it has has reached the national or international. Uh, news waves, if you will, but um, just some things that are being thrown around here locally of what they're hearing the Vegas Golden Knights might be up to here in the offseason. And keep in mind, one last point on that is that Vegas is going to want to trade these guys and, and basically not retain any assets back that carry a cap hit next year. So that means you draft know, picks. talking about pro- draft picks and prospects. Prospects, sure. Which, which you know, they've traded a quite a few as we've talked about over the last 15 months or so. So that's not, that's not a terrible thing. And maybe that was always part of the plan, if you will, of recouping some of these uh, items. So it'll be interesting to see if, um, uh, if they, especially for Colin Miller, if, can they wrestle a late first round pick from somebody uh, or a future 
first-round pick. So let's say there's a team interested and says, because, you know, as, as you approach the draft, everybody is very guarded of their picks, if you will. Um, someone might say, I'll give you a first-round pick to call Colin Miller, but I'll give you my 2020, you know what I mean, uh, first-round pick. But right. it'll be interesting to see, will someone be willing to give up a first-rounder for Colin Miller, who, you know, quite honestly, is a good player. Uh, I believe he's a right-handed shot, so that's yes, always sir. very well wanted. 3.85, that's a pretty good number. Uh, he's got upside uh, on, on top of already being a good player. He's played in big games. He's signed for the next three years. So it's not the kind of thing uh, you have to worry about him losing him in a year or so. Um, so, Well, here's I, you know, a trade partner think- for you. Um Philadelphia Flyers and the, and the young decor that they have, I think Colin Miller, and I saw this in another article browsing about too. Um, I believe it was Bleacher Report, but I could be mistaken. Um, okay. Flyers have a ton of cap space, and adding Colin Miller to that decor with Sanheim, Gotsaspear, Provorov, um, just add more speed to that Flyers defense. And, you know, they could be in the market for a Cody Eakin as well to play that third line right. defensive oriented, uh, you know, he, he's one of the night's better penalty killers uh, and, you know, speculation would be a, a package of Miller and Eakin to Philly could garner uh, Philly's first and maybe their third and throw in a late rounder, say a sixth um, and a prospect for a package of those two. Well, so the, Phil, a, Philly has a have ton a of caps. They, they have a, yeah, they and they have a top fifteen pick, so that's a good pick. Um, yeah. uh, you know, so yeah, they, they'll definitely be interested interest in those two guys. For, well, let me ask you for, this too: sure. you, you mentioned a first round pick for Colin Miller. Um, we we saw the Kings were able to get a first round pick for Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin. Yes, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my brain was moving faster than my thought process. Um, how would you rate Colin Miller in comparison to Jake Muzzin as far as equal value on the trade market? I think, I think it's interesting. I think uh, Muzzin um, probably regarded a little bit better overall defensively. Also played, you know, for some uh, – I mean, he was on Stanley the – Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, yeah, right. And he – Right, and he's still, you know, he, I, how old is he? Is he in his late twenties? He's not I, old. I think he's. I think point. he's actually thirty now. I'll okay. check real quick. Okay, so he just turned thirty. So he has those things. Whereas Miller, um, better viewed probably offensively, still still could get better. Younger, uh, Mustn had two. Had, when the time of the trade. You know, Toronto got Muzzin for the rest of uh, this past year and then next year, and then he's a UFA, whereas Miller, someone will be getting for three years. So so when you put all that in a the blender there, I, I mean, they got, the Kings got, as you know, the Leafs' first-round pick, which turned out to be the 22nd overall pick, which is a pretty good right. pick, probably the best that they could have hoped for, uh, as well as two pretty good secondary prospects in that deal. Especially his name escapes me, but it's the young forward. This, I want to say the young right. Swedish forward. Yeah. So I would think I would think that at their minimum, for for Miller, you're looking at something similar, uh, uh, a first round pick that's probably in the latter third. You know, from a team uh, that's a good team. And you know, I don't. You know, I think to get a better first round pick, i.e., where Philly's picking in the top fifteen, you would have to sweeten the pot. And then maybe a and then a not a blue blue chipper, but a good prospect to go with them. I think that's I, I got to think that that's, that's, that's got to be doable out there. Well, I, I would think so too. I think Philly lines up as a, a pretty comfortable trading partner, for, depending on their specific needs and the pieces that uh, George McPhee is going to want to be not want to be, but have to be moving out here. Um, yeah, Muzzin uh, so just would, um, turned thirty. Ironically, he turned so thirty this year. Toronto. So it would be Toronto, but they no longer have a first-round pick this year. Yeah, and they're in, they don't have quite you know they're in cap trouble, and Philly has a lot of cap space available to add players. No, but but they need um right. But my point is, in terms of Miller, I think they would they would you know they I mean look, Miller three point eight five 
that, yeah, but um, like I said, they don't have the first-round pick, so there would have to be someone in the pipeline that Vegas would have to love and then get a high pick in 2020. So I, I think that kind of kills them. If someone's willing to give up a first-round pick now and give Vegas two first-round picks um, in some kind of scenario of Miller by himself or Miller with Eakin, uh, yeah, I think that's something they're going uh, to pursue. Yeah, for sure. Um, something just happened. Yeah, Gabriel Foley just jumped on the line from the last word on Puck. He covers the St. Louis Blues, and, and longtime listeners of the show remember Gabriel Foley um, as we headed towards the playoffs, and we talked about St. Louis uh, making their late run down the season, and we welcome him to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Gabriel, good morning, sir. Good morning. Always a pleasure to be on. Oh, it's always good to have you on, sir. The mood in St. Louis I'm watching on the the NHL Network is off the chain right now. Are, are you uh, down there involved in that or, or soon to be? Yep, I'm hoping to head down there tonight. Um, I also write for SB Nation St. Louis Game Time, and they have a pregame tailgate every game. So I'm hoping to go down there and join them for the fun before game three. All right, all right. Well, we head back to St. Louis, tied one to one, and you could argue that the as as well as the Blues played in the first period of Game One, there's there you know there's opportunity for the Blues to be coming home uh, up two games in the series, uh, but with with you know great physical play and taking the game to the offensive zone and keeping it there much more consistently than in periods two and three from game one, they were able to get the game two overtime win. How do they maintain that given the fact that they're eight and three on the road in these playoffs, but only five and five at home. So how can they maintain that style of play now, as we begin play here in the Stanley cup finals in St. Louis? You know, it's hard to tell because watching some of their games this playoffs, um, it seems, that style of play is characteristic to them. You know, it's, you can't change it, but then other games are completely off. Um, so I think a big part of it is the players knowing um, the importance of this game. This is a must-win game for them. Um, and I think another big part of it is the crowd that they'll be playing in front of. Um, I haven't seen the city of St. Louis this excited in, you know, 13 years. Um, since the Cardinals won the World Series in 2006. Um, so I think playing in front of such a energetic crowd um, in a city like St. Louis, uh, I'm hoping that energy fuels the players and they can keep up the style of play that they showed in um, Game 2, especially in Game 2's overtime, and you know, really continue dominating the Bruins. Yeah, for sure. In the in the overtime, they uh, didn't allow a shot. Uh, and yeah. um, for the game, uh, game two, the in game in game one, they gave up thirty eight shots to Boston. In game two, it was only twenty three shots allowed. In game one, uh, Boston had a decided edge in faceoffs. And I look at faceoff percentage on the road. If you can get approach 50% when the other team has last change and is dictating the faceoff matchups, you're doing a really good job on the dot. And St. Louis was able to get to the 50% faceoff, uh, which plays into their uh, puck possession game when, when they're controlling that many faceoffs. And I look for that to improve here in game three. Uh, the physical play decidedly on St. Louis' side, 50 hits to 31. Um, and as far as the shots against go Boston also had to block 19 shots uh, in addition to the 37 that did reach took a rask. Um, I, I think that's the recipe for success for this St. Louis team. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to you earlier in, in the year and you felt in camp that this should be a Stanley cup campaign for the roster that they were able to put together uh, heading into the season. And we talked at that time about the slow start. Um, we talked about the, the fight in, in camp and practice. And then Bennington comes up and we all know what kind of run he's been on. And you were still, uh, St. Louis hadn't quite completed their climb from worst to playoffs 
but they were on their way. And you still felt, and, and I, I asked you the question then, if St. Louis makes the playoffs given where they started, is that a successful season? And you maintain that that was not a successful ceiling, that you still expected this team to be a Stanley Cup contender given the product on the ice. So kudos to you for seeing what was in this club and a lot of doubters um, had written this team off in January and February. What was yeah. it in the middle of their climb that made you see that this team was a Stanley Cup contender? Well, it's a lot of the stuff that's been carrying them through the playoffs so far because they haven't had an easy run through the playoffs. Um, but during that stretch from January to the beginning of April, I've never seen a team band together that much. Um, every player had every other's player back. Um, and I've never seen so much depth scoring from a team. I mean, we were seeing guys like Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sunquist who prior to this season, both of them had been written off and they were two extremely influential players in the, uh, towards the end of the regular season. So, you could tell by watching the team that um, in those late months that there was something special about them. Um, you could see that they were coming together and they weren't going to let anything stop them. Um, after such a hard start to the season, uh, nothing could stop them. And I think it's a lot of that same stuff that's helped them through the playoffs. Hey, Gabriel, Chris here. So, what have you liked uh, in games one and two from a Blues perspective? What have you seen that you have liked, and what have you seen that you don't like and, and a little concerned about? What I've liked um, is the speed uh, that we're bringing out in these series. Um, like uh, Mark mentioned, we are really dominating the offensive game. We're keeping the puck in um, – Boston zone and such. Um, and that's really important against a Boston Bruins team that's fast. Um, they're physical. And if you so much as look in the wrong direction, um, their top line is going to blow by you and, um, you know, score a goal. So we're really matching their speed well, matching their offense well. Um, but on the flip side, the Blues um, aren't being as smart physically as I'd like. Um, Against San Jose, the physical game was crucial, and it's the same way in this series. We have to be able to match Boston speed with um, some great physicality. And guys like Oscar Sundquist, um, with his two bad hits now, uh, really aren't performing those hits as well as they probably should. Um, and I think when you have players – who go out and who are careless with their hitting, uh, it kind of diminishes the physical game as a whole. Um, you want to start being more careful. You know the refs are going to watch you more. Um, so I think the Blues are really kind of losing their heads a bit. Um, and if they continue to do that, if they continue to not um, be physical and be smart with their physicality, like I said, this Boston Bruins team is just going to walk on past you. Yeah, to do to that point, I mean, to me, giving the Bruins in both games one and game two five power play opportunities. Now, the Bruins, uh, for them, this is a low number, only cashing in one power play goal in each game. Uh, that, to me, is the definition of poking the bear. If they continue to give that amount of opportunities on the power play for the Bruins, it's going to cost them, and it's going to cost them uh, games. Would you not agree? Oh, I completely agree. Um, the Bruins' top lines of Marshan, Pasternak, and Bergeron um, haven't been clicking this series. Um, all three of them have been underperforming, and it's been the Bruins' bottom six um, that's really yeah. – held them in this series so far um, but with such a good trio of Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak they're going to come to life uh, sooner rather than later 
And if the Blues keep giving up these power play opportunities and keep giving up these high-quality, high-scoring chances, I mean, sooner or later, there's going to be an explosion of scoring from Boston. So it's either play smart and get your head on right or ultimately lose the series. Yeah, I got one more for you before I let you finish. Let Mark finish off with you. And I would say if I was a Blues fan, a good sign is Tarasenko scored a goal in game one, scored a goal in game two. And, look, his talent is, as we all know, is off the charts. Um, he's a, he could be a little bit streaky. But if, if, if for the rest of the series he's going to continue gaming game out, provide offense, uh, that is that would be a, a big piece of uh, – Blues winning the series. Would you agree? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, he has goals in four games straight, points in eight games straight. Um, out of those eight games, it's ten points. So he's definitely come back to life, I think. Um, saying that still makes me very nervous because, like you said, he has been streaky not only in the playoffs but in the entire regular season as well. So we've seen – just how big of an impact he's made. Um, his strong play has really revived uh, the Blues' top six. So if he can keep that up, it's ginormous. But like I said, I'm nervous saying it. I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No kidding. No kidding. Um, you you mentioned the the San Jose Sharks series, and and I, we didn't get to talk to you during that series, but I wanted to go back and. As crazy as it sounds, I thought the turning point in the Blues' favor was the hand-pass goal and not losing that game. And there was a little bit of an immediate meltdown on the ice uh, by the Blues players. But it seemed to me that Greg Berube took that situation in hand in the locker room immediately after the game. And in his press conference, he said he really wouldn't entertain much discussion about that play. It's gone. It's over. It's behind us. We're moving on. Basically the message. And I guarantee you in that room, that was the message to his players because when they were turned loose to the media, to a man, none of them was sour grapes. None of them uh, complained too much about the hit, even though in the emotion of the moment. And I I thought that was in stark contrast to the way and I'm going to be critical of the hometown team here that the Vegas Golden Knights handled the Cody Eakin major um, with their, and I, and I've said it before, both things can be true. The major was a joke. It should not have been anything more than a two minute penalty. If that, but it's also true that you don't melt down and give up four goals on the power play. Um, So both things can be true at the same time. And I, I just thought even after the game, um, the players on the Golden Knights were dwelling too much on the misfortune. And I saw in the St. Louis Blues at the time, they did not do that. And they went on to win three state in this, in this series. Um, talk a little bit about how the, the, the head coach that, and, and he's got to be the coach in, in St. Louis for many, many years to come now, um, <clears throat> how he set the tone following that game and what it meant to the Blues going forward. Oh, I completely agree with you. Um, it always takes a few minutes for the media to get downstairs following the game, you know. Um, yep. And I think Baruby went to that locker room. He he pulled everyone off the ice pretty quick. Um, once the refs made their decisions, Baruby said, all right, let's go to the locker room. And quite frankly, he's scary. Um, yeah. If I was in the same room with a mad Craig Berube, I'd be terrified. So <laughs> I, that's no what question. I think he did. I think he went into the locker room, and I think he, you know, made it clear that no one was going to be upset. Um, the Blues felt pretty confident in that game. Um, they dominated that overtime. And yep. if the Shark Tank got that play, the Blues would have easily won. Um, so I think he made sure to note, you know, we dominated this game. Um, this is one setback, but, um, you know, we're we're still the better team. And I think that's kind of the message that all the Blues players and Baruby um, and even the management, Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman, um, everyone kind of had that message that, all right, we're just going to take the next step forward. 
Um, and I think it really plays into what I said earlier that this team is just their group of brothers. They're a family. Um, and they really have the, you know, we've been through thick and thin mentality and nothing's going to stop us. So yeah, we've, we've seen I that really go a long way in sports there. for sure. Um, yeah. uh, two, two more quick things I wanted to get to, and you mentioned the Sunquist hit. Um, a lot of times when you get the Department of Player Safety videos, um, the, let's say, part of the responsibility of the hit can be put on the person being hit by putting themselves in an A, vulnerable position, B, changing the elevation of his head immediately prior to a hit that is already being delivered. And I thought that was the case with the Sunquist hit. Um, were you surprised at the suspension, giving those two things, or or did you expect to see the one game off? I was entirely surprised. Um, I was talking with my colleagues from the minute the hit happened, saying that's not a suspension. Um, I'm pretty sure on the NBCSN stream, the commentators even said that it wasn't a suspension. So with that ruling, I was definitely surprised. I don't know if I entirely agree with it. Um, they said that when Sunquist lined up to make the hit, it was an illegal hit. Um, and I think they said something along the lines of it wasn't a legal hit turned illegal. It was from the minute Sunquist went to make contact, it was illegal. So I don't know if I agree with it. Um, and yeah, I did not expect it. I was blown away, especially considering the fact that it took the department six hours to release the verdict. Um, right. So we were all kind after of he got a hearing. First. Yeah, um, we were all on edge. So, yeah, it was definitely surprising, and it'll be even more surprising to see how the Blues bounce back from it. Um, Sunquist is crucial to their bottom six. He may be the fourth line center, but he has been a huge role. Um, so it's going to be definitely really interesting to see what it's like with him out of the lineup. And one more thing real quick before I let you go. Uh, near and dear to Vegas Golden Knights hearts is, of course, David Perron. And you've seen him in St. Louis before uh, his stint with Vegas. And, and now that he's back in – the one thing I thought that the Knights were going to miss from David Perron was not so much he had a career high in points, I believe it was 66 points. It was his ability in the offensive zone to keep the puck on his stick and not let anybody else have it. And uh, talk about his contribution to that offensive zone possession time and what it's meant to the Blues so far here in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly like you said. Um, he's trustworthy with the puck, and it's hard to say that about a player. Um, he really shows that when he has the puck on his stick, no one's going to get it um, unless it's you know a handful of guys and they lay him out. And the Blues really taking advantage of that, especially on their power play um, when you watch the Blues power play, the puck touches Perron's stick probably two or three times before any shot. Um, he mans the point um, or the high circle, high slot area, and they really let him kind of quarterback the power play almost, um, whether he wants to use what's a great wrist shot or, you know, he's got a great vision for the ice. So, you know, they really let him kind of take advantage of the power play and such and their power plays come to life lately since they put more trust in him. So, yeah, I completely agree that his impact in the offensive zone has been humongous for the Blues. Yeah, and, and an underrated passer, as you alluded to, when we when uh, the Golden Knights brought him in, I knew um, his puck possession skills and his tenacity uh, on the forecheck is something that would help a first-year franchise, and, and he certainly contributed in that respect. But I was surprised at, at the, how well he does, like you say, see the ice and and his ability to either feather a pass, sauce a pass, um, a, a very crisp cross ice on the tape pass, um, very underrated passer. And, and I look for him to, um, the longer the series goes, to make more and more of an impact, especially, like you said, getting his team involved uh, on the power play. And, and they got to break that goose egg. And um, I'll, I'll say that I think Perron's going to have a big part of getting the power play going if they if they get more chances on the power play and keep themselves out of the penalty box. 
Um, yeah, that's and and out of the out of the guys that had to leave after last season, I think um, just some media stuff that went on with James Neal. Uh, I, I know Vegas is is rooting for Perron and the Blues right now. So good good luck to Perron and the St. Louis Blues the rest of the way, sir. And thank you for coming on the show. Tell everybody again where they can find all your stuff. Yep, I am at Last Word on Puck and at St. Louis Game Time. And you can find me on Twitter at NHL Foley. All right, all right. Well, thank you, sir, and, and good luck tonight. Have fun out there, but be safe. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, all Thanks, right. Thanks, Gabriel. All right, Gabriel Foley, once again, doing a great job with the St. Louis Blues coverage. Chris, what uh, what do you take away from – from what we heard from Gabriel. Yeah, I, I threw out a couple of um, Boston. Uh, we, we attacked it from a, a Blues perspective, from a Boston perspective. Again, getting five chances each game in <laughs> power play. Not that two out of 20% is a bad number, but you, you, with their power play, uh, you know, you, you, you would like more. I mean, they were operating at a 30% clip. You know, basically, these have been two one-goal games. Um, so that's something to keep an eye out for. St. Louis would be wise to limit those chances. They're going to get burned. Um, you know, obviously, other than an empty net goal, uh, St. Louis has kept Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn off the score sheet. Now, you know, word on the street is Pasternak is, is dealing with an injury, and I understand everyone's really beat up at this point. It seems like it's more than that. I mean, that's uh, a Bertrand, that, that is. Um, um, that would, you know, and he, you know, he's not complaining. He's giving it what he has. But he, uh, let's be clear, he's he's their best all-around player. So that, now they have a deep team, but that's, you know, something to keep an eye out uh, for as well. And the other thing, uh, the last two points uh, for me is, you know, St. Louis dominated game two. But yet, Tukarask almost gave yeah. gave the Bruins a chance Every to chance. really steal that game. To uh-huh. steal that game, if you really think For about sure. it. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so you have to. That would give a Bruins fan some comfort. And this last point, it really applies to both teams. When you look at the Blues and the Bruins, and Gabriel mentioned it from a Blues perspective, it hasn't been an easy road to get to this point. I understand the Bruins swept the Hurricanes. But you look at the two prior series, all the series the Blues have been, and both of these teams at numerous times through these playoffs have had to respond. And the Blues did it after game one with a huge effort and a huge win in overtime uh, in this series. And I think that is – and you look how these two teams are close, they're deep, uh, it's to me. It's a. I mean, I said before the series start, Bruins in seven. Um, to me, it's a. It's a recipe for a seven game series when you put put that all together. Yeah, I agree. And I went. I went Blues in seven. Um, to, to put, put one of the things in. Well, their, their road records eight and three on the road. Yeah. They're not going to be. They're not going to be concerned at all. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, going on the road for game seven, game one, game two, it doesn't matter t- to the St. Louis club. Um, you did mention the two out of 10 on the power play, 20%, not too bad to put it in perspective though. Boston's power play throughout the playoffs is 31.7%, almost 32%. Um, right. So, so kudos to the St. Louis blues pen- penalty kill and Bennington, you know, the old cliche, your goaltender has to be your best penalty killer. And he's made some fantastic uh, saves while they were killing these penalties off. Um, but yeah, yeah. 10, 10 power plays in oh. two games is, is something you can't do. Um, you, that team. Five, five in a game, you're giving up one sixth of the game shorthanded where yeah. 90% of your focus is just don't let the other team score. And it, you can't get in a rhythm that way. You can't, yeah. you know, you're, you're, your lines have to shuffle up if you take too many penalties. It's it just it's not a recipe that that I think St. Louis can go forward with, uh, especially relying on on a 
one of five penalty kill night every time that they get into into penalty trouble. Um, I look for Barubi to have that cleaned up tonight, and I know the Blues are only five and five at home in the playoffs, which is surprising, but um, you might see their best home game of the playoffs tonight. I think they're going to be in front of a raucous crowd, like Gabriel said, and it's going to be uh, two days off between the games is, is a lot for me, but you know, we only have five possible games left in the regular season. And I, tonight might be one of the best games uh, of the series. I'm really and looking Bruins, forward to tonight's game. And the Bruins haven't been as good as the blues, but they're pretty, they've been pretty good on the road. This series is off the top of my head. I know they won two out of three in Toronto uh, in the first round. I think they won two out of three in Columbus, if memory serves correct, and they won both games in Carolina. So I believe they have a pretty pretty good record on the road in these playoffs as well. And, um, um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I expect a split in these next two. I, I yeah, think I go, wouldn't be surprised I think, at I, all. I, I think we're going to go back to Boston at 2-2. And, and you kind of – that's you know, that will be a very big game, obviously. I thought well, they'll all be games. But um, that, I, I would be surprised, not shocked, but surprised, if uh, uh, we were not at two two, um, but Head of the it's game been five. a good series so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be surprised. So. Uh, but you mentioned took a rest uh, a little bit. Uh, we were, I was watching game two, and I was and not so much in style of 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 play, but just as as, as in respect to doing whatever it takes to keep the puck out of the net. I was having flashbacks to the 2014 Jonathan Quick where, um, uh, you know, let's face it, you you go to three game sevens on the road, you're in very competitive series. There's nights where you're not playing your best. And there's times, especially um, in the Chicago series, where it's just, Chicago is just dominating the game and it's a one, one, it's a one, one hockey game and, and quicks giving the points every chance to win. And then I felt that same way in game two with how Tucker Rask played. So stick tap to him. You're right about that, Chris. Yeah, no. And he's been tremendous in these playoffs. So, and you know, they, they are going to need the grade a Tucker Rask to, to win this series. And, um, it's going to be a bunch of one goal games. Everything, uh, everything will help, uh, be interesting to see if uh, uh, Marshawn and Pasternak if they can uh, put forward a big game uh, tonight. So yeah, I'm a, I, it, it, it's been it's been a fun series. So um, so next week we will be just me and you. We'll be breaking down the series and where we're at at that point. At that point, they'll be we'll be through the first five games. So I guess uh, theoretically, not theoretically, it is possible. The series could be over, but I would tend to doubt that. But it is, it is possible. So if that happens, we'll review. If not, we'll continue talking about the series. We'll also, uh, two weeks from today is our big annual mock draft show. Mark Scheig and Dan Harrigan join the program. They will be picking along with yours truly. And Mark, of course, will be master of ceremonies. That's always a big show. And then we have, we'll do a, sh- yeah, and then we'll do a show early July, first week of July after the smoke clears on the major free agent signing. So we got after, we got three more shows to go and unless something pops up over the summer that's major. Uh yeah, we got three more shows to go for this season. So um uh but three uh three great shows to go. So excited I'm um, excited about that. I'm really liking the the Spencer Knight to the Knights thing that we were talking about last week or the oh, week yeah. before. I, I think mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to what we were talking about in the opening about the Golden Knights and maybe having a trade partner with Philly. If You said Philly's on the 15th pick, correct? Uh, no, I actually think they're lower. I think Montreal's the 15th pick. I want to say maybe the 14th? Yeah, so I if, if, I think if Spencer Knight's there and, and they can move up actually they're to 11. get him. They're 11. Oh, so now you package Eakin and Miller and move up to 11, get your goalie of the future, and, and a couple more assets down the line. Um, I'm gaining steam steam on the Spencer Knight and the Phillies and the Flyers as a uh, trading partner. That could be very interesting, sir. Yeah, I mean, 11 is a good spot. I mean, there will be, be a number of good players on the board. 
Um, you know, Knight, I think, could be there where they pick at 17 as well, even if they can't move up in a trade. I think there's a good chance he's going to be there at 17. So I think I think he makes a lot of sense. Now, again, assuming uh, all the superlatives everyone is saying about him or the the, the you know the ceiling uh, that you know obviously that the Vegas front office is buying in on that, but I think from afar it would seem like a real smart ideal pick. Um, so that would be interesting. But yeah, Philly has the eleventh pick. So I mm. did see from our friend, uh, not to throw cold water on that, uh, but Russ Cohen, who if you need draft stuff, go to sportsology.com. Uh, you can find Russ's stuff. Russ Cohen, that is a good friend of the show, uh, at Sportsology on Twitter. Uh, he had a few uh, nuggets yesterday, and one of which was the Flyers were trying to get in the top ten, um, make a trade. So uh, now they could theoretically do that without trading their first-round pick. But uh, So that's just something to throw out there. I think they have their, they have their eye on somebody that's not going to be there at 11. So hmm. I don't know how that plays into everything. So, um, yeah, so it'll be – but obviously Miller and and Eakin would make a lot of sense for the Flyers. And, again, maybe it winds up being a 2020 first-round pick, you know. Um, uh, I, I don't know how – I don't know how Vegas would, would view that. I don't know if they would view that. I mean, I think the positive about that is if you're open to that, it also opens up the door to getting more assets. To say, okay, oh, for I'll sure. do that, but here's the, you know, here's the deal. You're making me wait a year. I got to get more now. That's I'm not going to view a 2020 first round pick the same as a 2019. I basically I'm on hold for a year. Yeah, and also, pick... yeah, you got to assume it's not going to be the 11th overall pick. Philly's got to be better next year too. One would think, but you never know. It could be, it could be better. So if we had the framework, uh, <laughs> let's play general manager real quick uh, before uh, before we go. I, I I call you up and I say, I want your 11th pick, and I'm going to put Eakin, Miller, and our 17th on the table. What do you give me? Oh, in you're going to include the 17th. If we're going to move up, we're going to go three assets from Vegas to the 11th. What else does Philly have to do to get that deal done? Yeah, that. Philly would have to kick something else in that deal. A hundred percent. Sliding back, if they're just sliding next back year's six first. spots, if you're getting next year's first on the table too, right? You would have to give up something pretty darn good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even if it was just Miller and the seventeen to go to from, uh, you would still have to give up some. So I think there's interest there. It makes a lot of sense. They do have a lot of young defensemen. It's going to be fun. Uh, uh, Miller is kind of a combination of a a young guy with experience, so it's a good, you know, into entering the prime of his career. So it right. makes a lot of sense there. Eakin would be a good fit for them as well. He can be a good fit for anybody, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. um, uh, the only negative I can say about Eakin is uh, he's got one year to go. So if you're trading for him, uh, the negative is, okay, I don't, I'm trading for him. I don't want to just have him for one year, but if I try to sign him now, I'm signing him at the high end, but then if I wait and he puts up another good year, now I'm looking at a really, really big contract. It's only a tricky thing about trading for players with one year to go, uh, depending upon how you, those kind of those kind of things. But um, um, yeah, Philly makes Philly makes a lot of sense. Um, we'll see. Like I said, they have, and they, keep in mind Philly has a pretty good prospect pipeline, so that's another way to go. They have about three or four kids not far away from the NHL. So if they could, they could grab. Let's say Philly says, "Look, we, you know, forget our first round picks. You can keep seventeen. We keep eleven. We want Miller, or we want Eakin, or we want both. You know, they could give up like they could give up a second round pick and one of those really good prospects, and then maybe throw in an early pick for next uh, in 2020 as well to get a deal done. You know what I mean? That's um, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's another way to go as well. I want to say they have like three. Um, I'll tell you real quick. They have like three kids ranked between like forty and fifty. The Flyers do, and um, actually even better than that. So I mean, they they 
they have three kids. Uh, they have Joe Fabry, last year's first-round pick. They have Morgan Frost, who was the first-round pick the year before. And they have uh, Philippe Myers, um, who is, is another uh, a good prospect as well. So they're willing to give up one of those kind of guys and keep the pick. You know, um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of doors, a lot of possibilities in terms of assets that Philly could trade. Obviously, yeah. you have to give up something to get something. So yeah, the more I looked into Philly as a trade partner, the more uh, the more they make sense. I, I gotta I gotta believe at least they're talking and the rumors of at least discussions going on. Maybe not the players involved or the picks involved or anything that Chris and I have been talking about. Uh, we're just spitballing, throwing spaghetti on the wall. But um, gotta believe at least the the rumors we're hearing here in Las Vegas that there's discussions going on. Um, it's just a good fit. I got to remember too, Colin Miller is a really good player who's young, who has upside, and then he has a great cap contract for the next three years. That's worth something yeah. as well because, you know, Absolutely. the more cap space you have, not just for one year, but now for the next three years, the more flexibility one has and the more flexibility one has, the more they can do. So when you put that all together, that's a very attractive asset. It's going to take an attractive asset or two back the other way. So if you're a Flyers fan, you know, usually what's the tendency of all fans, of all teams, oh, we can't give up that prospect, or we can't give up a first. You don't want to give up anything that's like kind of a prize thing. But, you, you know, if you're talking about getting a good player like Colin Miller and his contract situation or in the positives of that, you got to give to get. So if they're talking, I'm sure those I'm sure there's no doubt in my mind those are the assets that Vegas is asking about. They're asking about the 11th pick. They're asking about their top three prospects who are ranked between you know two kids in the 20s, uh, according to uh, the Hockey News, and one kid in the sixth ranked uh, 65th overall. I, I guarantee you they're talking about those kids. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right, Chris, we're just about out of time. Uh, We'll be going down the, the this road until all is said and done on the Vegas Golden Knights, and then we'll be back next week to talk some more about the Stanley Cup final. So, Chris, thanks again as always. Appreciate you coming on, my friend. For Chris, I'm Mark. We're gone.